Morning folks, welcome to stage 12 of the 2023 Tour de France. Stage 12 was super fun, uh, tons of attacks, lots of breakaway action. I'm gonna give it a six and a half out of 10 because the, the GC, the big picture battles, really uh, didn't come into play today. I'd say go back and watch the first hour and then kind of watch the last 30K. First hour, underrated in bike races, often a lot of good stuff going on. Today's sponsor is the Optimize app from FastCat Coaching. Uh, I've been working with Coach Frank Overton since 2014, my, my first year world tour. Uh, we're, we're life teammates now. He's a great friend. I got to see him in Boulder for a few minutes. Definitely one of the best bike coaches in the game. Normal coaching is uh, you kind of pay a monthly fee. You talk to the coach once in a while. Uh, here's my goals. Here's, and they build you sort of a custom training plan. That was where he started. And then he kind of evolved into uh, here's a training plan that's it's a calendar. You can just buy it once. You can buy a different one. So here's the training plan for the Belgian Waffle Ride. Uh, a bunch of folks are doing this event. So you can kind of adapt it and put it together yourself. Uh, more recently, he's built the Optimize app. So you pay the monthly fee and you have access to the whole library of training plans. But what Optimize does is it takes your, your wearable data, your Whoop data, whatever recovery device you use, uh, your sleep metrics, stuff like that, and it'll adapt your training on the fly. It'll say like, hey, today you're kind of in the red. Maybe you want to take a day off. So it'll tell you the, the information that you get from these. It'll actually apply that to your training. That's another one that's just constantly learning and adapting and still coming out with new stuff. Uh, and there is a free trial, no risk free trial on that. So use my link, uh, give Optimize a shot uh, for my good buddy, Frank Overton. Okay, now on to stage 12. We had 170 Ks today, uh, a bunch of hills and climbs, but not really a GC looking day. Thankfully the temperature cooled down. They're not roasting on the pavement anymore. So as I predicted yesterday, it was gonna be a day for the breakaway. Everybody in the pack knew it. Everyone was going for it. Every team who doesn't have a stage win yet, who doesn't have a guy in the GC, uh, they were all up there being aggressive in the beginning, including some of the big hitters. Wow gave it a go a little bit. Matthew Vanderpoel up there, Ala Philippe again. But everyone was fighting for it. Made for a really ugly first couple hours of the race. With 90K to go after a very ugly first 90 minutes, two hours, uh, there was a small break up the road and then a big split with all the GC hitters who were all just watching each other and defending each other right up to almost into the breakaway. And the peloton at this point was minutes behind. Finally, the GC guys were like, okay, that can be the break. Uh, we'll sit back, we'll wait, we'll, we'll drink some water and, uh, and let the group kind of come back together. And from there, it was just a normal breakaway stage, but it took a long time to form and it was for sure ugly in the pack. So we had then was a bike race at the front and a very controlled kind of boring situation in the back, uh, which is fine. They're all saving it. Tomorrow looks big. The thing I really noticed today was Matthew Vanderpool uh, decided to race his bike. He's been quiet. He's been sort of uh, happily as a lead out guy, or maybe not too happy. Uh, either he decided to race himself into shape or he was sick of working for Philipson. Uh, whatever it is, he decided to go for it today. Sort of the Matthew Vanderpool that we're used to seeing attacking with 45K to go. Uh, of course, not the Vanderpool we're used to seeing getting caught a little bit after that on the climb. That was Matteo Jorgensen and Thibaut Pino coming across to him, and then the whole rest of the breakaway came across to, to that group. The team in the best position of this breakaway was Kofidis having two guys, uh, so a 30k to go, Izagira attacked, and what it looked like to me was he was really just being a selfless teammate, setting up his teammate Guillaume Martin for the stage win. So kind of the same way it goes in the pack. If you have a guy in the breakaway, it's not your responsibility to pull on the front. So the same deal in the breakaway, if you've got a guy who just attacked the breakaway, your teammate, Guillaume, gets to sit on. It's the other guy's responsibility to take turns pulling through to chase Izagira. So I think his plan was to fry out their solo for a while, eventually get caught, but give his teammate a free ride to just dust everybody in the sprint. That guy was the favorite on paper in the sprint, and he just made it that much easier for him. So that was over the top of the final climb. Now I talked yesterday about how it can be a disadvantage to be solo on a descent, uh, 
uh, depending on the, the terrain and how twisty the descent is. So on an open descent, uh, five guys are just going to coast back up to you. On a twisty, technical, something like that, you can actually gain time. And that was what we saw today. So instead of setting up his teammate, Izagira kind of accidentally built up a very solid gap. And it's like, oh crap, now I'm going to be the stage winner. And Guillaume Martin, uh, great teamwork, just quickly clicked into I'm working for him mode. So the other guys in the breakaway realized they really lost the race already. They could cooperate. It was 15K to go. The gap was around a minute. If they work together, they could get Izagira back. But then all that's going to happen is Guillaume Martin is going to outsprint them. So their only hope is to take turns attacking, drop Martin, and then get across to Izagira. And they just don't have enough time, enough distance, enough legs. And every one of those attacks, like, yeah, you're going fast for 10 seconds as you attack, but then you get caught, you slow down, you look back, you're looking at each other, you pick up two seconds on the breakaway, and then you immediately just lose 10. Big advantage to the solo guy when there's accelerations and breaks behind him. And big respect to his teammate, just dutifully covering every move. Uh, it's the other guy's turn. He came in thinking he was supposed to win that stage. It was the other guy. It's always beautiful when two teammates clearly don't care who wins. They're in it for the team. That's their job. There's no selfishness going on. That's how the sport's supposed to work. So Izagira crosses the line with no one else in the picture. Uh, big smile on his face. Great for him. It was, I mentioned the director yesterday with the banana story. That was Bing and Fernandez. He's directing Kofidis, so he was right there too. Uh, stoked for both of them. But Matteo Jorgensen does attack and finally sneaks away from the rest of the breakaway uh, with Bergado on his wheel. Sitting out there working together a little bit, probably not as much as Matteo wanted. Matteo attacks him with 1.7k to go. This is a tricky situation because once you attack, it's sort of a guarantee that the other guy will never pull through again. If he catches you, you can, you can flick your elbow all, all you want. But that guy knows, like, if you attack me before, you're going to attack me again. So I'm, I'm gonna, if I pull through, I'm giving you 20% max. But it was still a close sprint between those two. Mateo did come in third, but clearly, uh, dude has great legs. Behind, it was mostly Yumbo pulling all day. Uh, Ineos took over a little bit because Pino was in the break. He was moving up a little bit on GC. I think he gained a couple spots. Did see Bernal just doing his work on the front. Great to see that. What are they not saying on TV? Uh, it was just super weird to see the GC guys following attacks, being in those front splits uh, in the first 50, 60K. Uh, it's just rare to do that. Yumbo was trying to get Wout in the break again. Eventually, they ended up with Thies Venut. All I could think is, it was kind of a tough course. There was a situation where Pogacar lost some of his teammates, uh, and they could isolate him a little bit on some of the flat roads and, and cause some splits and make him follow moves. Really, how I see that is an indicator that maybe Jonas doesn't love his chances of, and I wouldn't either, of dropping Pogacar and winning this tour just on the mountaintop finishes in the time trial. Maybe he thinks uh, you know, he needs a good split, a good crosswind situation, uh, a little bit of luck, a little bit of teamwork to, to gain more advantage. I would use my team too if I was him. So that plan didn't really work out. I guess my armchair team director today would be, once they realized that the breakaway and the thing isn't going to split, I feel like they should have sent Tease back. They, they had him sort of battling for a stage win. Yumbo Visma doesn't really need stage wins. They need all the help they can get uh, in the mountains. He's an important part of that, and I feel like they're going to miss him tomorrow. Also in the armchair team director, uh, Mads Peterson doing a lot of work for green jersey points, still sprinting for the intermediates. Uh, give it up. Give it up. Uh, Philipson is way ahead, and he's going to continue to go ahead. He's, he's ahead for a reason, and I think he's going to win more stages. Uh, of course, there's a chance that he crashes out, but Trek is in it for more than uh, second in the green jersey thing. I feel like Mads Peterson is a guy who could win a stage. That's what they really need, and, uh, and I think he should be saving it for that. But not a great tour for Trek so far. Again, Paolo spent the day hiding in the pack. I think he's switched from aggressive to defensive on the KOM points. He's probably just going to mark the guys he's worried about. Maybe he has one other stage thinking that he can jump in the breakaway and get more, but he doesn't need to. He just needs to watch the guys who are close to him. Bike racing math today, 16 million. 
16 million is the price, uh, the rumored price that Patrick Lefevre is selling his quick step team for. Uh, he denies it. That probably means it's happening. Now, it's weird to think that a cycling team of that caliber, that fame, that history can go for essentially like the annual salary of an NFL player that I've never even heard of. But the question is, like, what are his assets? Does he have uh, does he have sponsors? If he has sponsors lined up for a total of two hundred million dollars over the next eight years, sixteen million is a steal. Uh, if he has thirty million dollars in rider contracts signed through the end of twenty twenty eight, and his sponsors are told told him that he's out, now it's a bad deal. So the assets, all of that, you know, how many cars does he have? How many buses does he have? Uh, all that factors into the equation. Lefevre denies it so far, uh, but he's always full of shit, so I'm pretty sure that means it's going to happen. The big question, who's the buyer? Now, I've got some good squawk here. I've got a theory. Uh, if you're paying attention, Wasserman is a big sports agent group. Uh, I almost worked for them. They represented me, and that's who I was going to work for when I retired. That's a whole other story. Now, if Wasserman sounds familiar, that's because of Lou Wasserman. He was kind of like, I'm going to get the history a little bit wrong, but like the original Hollywood agent. He almost invented the idea of being a Hollywood agent uh, decades ago. This guy basically figured out like, okay, I can represent uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of actors and producers and whatever and writers. And then because I own a bunch of them, I can raise their prices and really just like force the studios to pay them more. This guy essentially like took a percentage off of the entire business of Hollywood for decades. And then his son started a sports agency, which has also just been growing and killing it uh, leaps and bounds. LA's Olympics, is he's a big part of that. Uh, but they have offices in the US and LA, uh, is also in London. They recently purchased an agency that represents uh, a ton of the riders on that team. One of Wasserman's big businesses is selling sponsorships, selling naming rights to stadiums, selling uh, you know logos on the jerseys, and being part of these big brand deals and and teams and you know, NBA, NFL, soccer, all that stuff. Uh, I could see them saying, "We've got a bunch of the riders already." That's either a conflict of interest or a synergy. They love that gray area in the agency world. Let's throw $16 million and own this team. Uh, I bet we could sell those sponsors better uh, than this old guy did. And then Lefebvre's like, yeah, $16 million. I can do great uh, living in Antwerp on that if I get out. If I was watching on course today, where would I want to be? There's a lot of weird farm art. People will like mow their farm in a way to say a message or uh, at 55K to go today, there was something that looked like a bunch of people who had like some kind of a fabric they were stretching around, but they were walking in a circle and then there was a mode, looked like a banjo or something. There was someone else at a chateau that had placed like a bunch of white chairs so that from overhead it looked like a bicycle. Just imagine if like the helicopter, you know, if, if somebody attacks in the race and the helicopter just misses you at that moment. Uh, all that work for nothing. For sure we're missing some on the side of the road, but I still, I want to see what's going on there. I want to be part of that project. When did they start? Did they start setting up yesterday? Did they pencil it out? Uh, was there a blueprint? Are they drinking rosé all day out there? Are they super serious? Count me in on some farm art. I want to see what goes on. Unanswerable hypotheticals. Uh, today was my first sighting in the whole race of D.D. the Devil. Maybe he's been there before and I missed him. Uh, for folks who aren't familiar, there's a guy. His his name is D.D. He's German. He, he wears the red devil suit and the trident. He's always jumping around. Uh, I did an event recently with him in Las Vegas that the Tour de France put on. He was out there. I was told that he flew out in the devil suit. Um, does he eat with the trident? Does he... What, where's he been? What's he been doing? Where does he sleep? Uh, I just... I want to read his book. I want to know all about D.D. the Devil. Or, or maybe, honestly, maybe I don't. Other notes I had today. Uh, Maz Peterson did miss the start. That's not a big deal. He caught back on in the neutral. Uh, There's a good chance to explain what goes on, what the neutral is. 
the, the, the start is neutralized, which means uh, you see all the riders line up, they do the call-ups, there's kind of a ceremony, there's music, all that kind of thing. There's the pomp and circumstance. It's the Tour de France. Uh, and then they get going, and normally, because you start in like a town square, you, a lot of times they start somewhere a little bit weird. You don't want to just like pull the gun, everybody race. So what they'll do is the, the riders will follow a car at a neutral pace, uh, but if something happens in the first couple kilometers, if you get a flat tire, if you uh, mechanical, anything like that, if anybody's off the back in the neutral, the neutral will be extended until it's all back together, everyone's back in the group. Uh, so it's not a bad time to stop and pee, but a lot of times they'll do like a 10K neutral. It's also the, the part that riders like about it is it forces you to warm up. Because if you warmed up before the stage, you'd be standing at the start line for half an hour and you'd, the warm-up is now pointless. So they kind of build the warm-up into the neutral, uh, everyone gets to get their legs moving, and then at some point the, the car speeds up, the flag goes down, and that's when the kilometer zero is when the race typically starts. I also noticed once Pino got across to the break, uh, smart, quick bridge by him, that was a cool move from like kind of the GC split. He's just like, oh, they're right there, I'm going to just jump across that. Uh, that ended up cost getting him a couple GC spots. Smart move, and then immediately he just starts kind of bossing everybody around in the breakaway. I, I, I like Pino, but I hate that guy in the breakaway. Like, I know if I'm going to pull or not. Uh, I know which way to pull through. Don't everybody in here has done this a thousand times, but he's he's that guy in the break, and and I kind of you kind of feel bad for the guys. Who just like no one's going to tell him. I bet somebody probably did tell him to f off. To be honest. Then the last note, this is kind of a Homer moment because I like Matteo Jorgensen and I'm American. Uh, he did. There was a point where it was him and Pino and Matthew Vanderpool and, and Matteo's pulling through. I just like A, that he's in that group and B, that he has the balls to, to work with them and he's not scared. Matteo is officially uh, on the map now. He's one of those guys. So fun stage today. Uh, not a big GC race. Consider it kind of a one-day stage. Watch it if you're into that sort of thing. But good bike racing beginning to end. All right, that's it for me today. Uh, optimized link in the description. Thanks again for checking that out. Free trial. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for commenting. And, uh, and we'll see you tomorrow.